Okay, but do we commonly use liquid invert sugar? Yes, it is an um yes. Yep. Wait. <laughs> I can't, I can't recapture that. Yuppers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going sure down. It's so, okay. Hold on. Oh, okay. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 148. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking all about being a holiday hostess. Tis the season. After decking the halls, many of us are welcoming guests into our homes for the holidays. And whether you're hosting a large family party or an intimate soiree with close friends, the thought and planning that goes into preparing to host can be overwhelming. But what if we reframed hosting this holiday season? Perhaps then, opening up our homes has the potential to be one of the most special and intentional gifts we can give. But first, the best way that you can support The Modern Lady is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and by sharing us with your friends. We also welcome you to join us over at patreon.com forward slash The Modern Lady Podcast, where for just $5 a month, you will get exclusive and extra content. We want to remind our listeners that we now have activated a free trial option on Patreon. So while you can just follow the page for free, if you actually sign up for a free trial, you will have access to all of our extra content for seven days, and then you can decide if you'd like to join us as a paid member. And if you can't join us on Patreon at this time, a free way to support our show is by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a chance to tell us what you love about the show, and it helps others discover it too. This week's shout out goes to friend of the podcast extraordinaire and great in real life friend of both of ours, Sarah Gould. Sarah has been a longtime fan of the podcast and has been such an incredible support to us that we knew we needed to thank her with a shout out this week. So from encouraging Lindsay after mass on Sundays and me at our homeschool CC days, thanks Sarah. We also want to mention that Sarah has published a brand new Canadian Catholic planner for 2024. It is thorough, organized, fantastic, and available to purchase now on Amazon. If you would like to leave us a comment or message us about today's episode, the best way to get in touch with us is on Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. But be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode for other ways to connect because we would love to hear from you. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our modern lady tip of the week. Okay, guys, I'm still down this baking rabbit hole, but I'm done with flour. Today, we are talking all about sugar. Every Christmas, one or more baking ingredients become a hot commodity. One year, it was butterscotch chips, one year, Rice Krispies, and every year, it becomes hard to find those mini multicolored marshmallows. But this year, the word on the street is that sugar is hard to find. And it turns out that this is due to a strike at a sugar refinery in British Columbia. My parents finally found me some brown sugar at their local grocery store, but I was almost going to have to try that hack that you might have seen circulating around for how to make brown sugar using molasses and white sugar. 
The majority of refined sugar in Canada is made from sugarcane and sugar in the US is also made from sugarcane but also equally from sugar beets. According to the Canadian Sugar Institute, you can break sugar down into three groups, sugar, specialty sugars, and other sugars. The first type of sugar is just called sugar, and that term encompasses granulated, liquid, sugar cubes, pearl, and super fine sugar. It also includes something called liquid invert sugar, and this sugar is what prompted me to look into sugar because I was watching an episode of my favorite YouTuber, um, Glenn and Friends Cooking, and he used that term and I had never heard it before. Liquid invert sugar is, okay, are you ready for this? It is a liquid form of sugar, thick or thin, in which water is used to break the bonds of sugar. Sugar is made up of glucose and fructose, and these two things are attached. When water and heat or certain enzymes are applied, the glucose and fructose break apart. And okay, this is the crazy part. The name invert sugar comes from the way light is reflected through the sugar. When polarized light is shined on regular sugar, it reflects back at a certain angle. But when it is shined on invert sugar, it is rotated back in the opposite direction. Hashtag science. Hashtag did I really need to know that? Okay, but do we commonly use liquid invert sugar? Yep, it's in artificial honey, real honey, candies, and confections made with maple syrup, the syrups used in your fancy coffee drinks, and commercial baking. It's used in baking because it helps retain moisture and it keeps a smooth texture. The next category of sugar is specialty sugars, and this includes brown sugar, icing sugar, demerara, muscovado, and turbinado, organic sugar, golden syrup, and molasses. And finally, there's a category for other sugars, and this includes raw sugar and evaporated cane juice. Now let's circle back to the whole brown sugar um, is just white sugar with molasses mixed in thing. Is this true? Well, yes and no. Refined brown sugar is refined white sugar with molasses added back into it. And depending on how much molasses is added, you get either light or dark brown sugar. The other kind of brown sugar is unrefined, which means that it has been processed less, which leaves some of the molasses in place. So molasses is either added back in or not fully removed. Okay, so what exactly is molasses? I feel like molasses was used a lot more when I was a kid. My grandpa liked to put it on his pancakes. It definitely has a unique flavor when it's eaten on its own. Mostly today it's used if you make gingerbread, although I've made a molasses sheet cake and my kids loved it. According to the Canadian Sugar Institute, it is a dark colored syrup that is a byproduct of the sugar cane and sugar beet refining process. So how does one make brown sugar at home? You add one tablespoon of molasses to one cup of sugar in order to make it light brown sugar. And if you want it darker, you add more a half tablespoon at a time. Icing sugar is also part of the specialty sugars category. And I just learned that not only is it milled and ground into a powder, 3% cornstarch is added so that it doesn't clump. Icing sugar is also called powdered sugar. Finally, I want to look into the difference between our sugar here in Canada and what they use in England because I spend countless hours rewatching Nigella Lawson's Christmas specials and she's always using a sugar that she calls castor sugar, which from my understanding is a texture in between what we'd consider granulated sugar and super fine sugar sold here in Canada. Its smaller crystals make it easier to dissolve into a meringue, which is what Nigella and I make a lot. I've never bought Canadian super fine sugar. 
Um, but when I make a pavlova, I've started grinding my granulated sugar down a little bit so that it dissolves easier into the whipped egg whites so that the pavlova doesn't end up having a weird crunchy texture. Castor sugar would also be easier to mix in with butter. I want to add that I wrote this tip over a week ago, but we got delayed in recording this episode. And I can't tell you how many times I've already shared this knowledge because it seems like everyone <laughs> is talking about sugar right now. And I felt super knowledgeable when I was measuring out icing sugar this week. And Jason asked, what is icing sugar? Well, I said, and I launched into everything that I just learned. And now you can too. <laughs> well, wow. I... <laughs> You see, between this and the flour, yes. I just don't have room or bandwidth for no. so many sugars. And the inverted sugar. Yes. The inverted sugar. Like, yes. that sounds so mysterious. Yes. I think I just have to, like, Google that a little bit, too. But you know what? Um, I think it's safe to say, though, that no matter what the sugar or how it's used, um, sometimes it's just the most enjoyable to just skip right ahead to the cookies and enjoy it the final product. <laughs> yes. It's beginning to look and feel a lot like Christmas. And maybe you have a holiday due or two that you're gearing up to host. A festive gathering should be a pleasant occasion for all, guests and hostess alike. But between the planning and the prepping, sometimes it can be a challenge as hosts to keep calm and carry on. Right, Lindsay? <laughs> yes. And now I actually feel like I'm contributing to that frazzled um, franticness by my last, you know, two tips of the week with like all of the flour information <laughs> and all of the sugar. So yeah. I'm sorry if I've contributed um, a stressor to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you want to have oh, fun as the person yeah. doing the baking and prepping. But we'll just put it, if we need to, we can put a pin in it yes. and that can be like further studies for after Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of stressors, we looked mm -hmm. up um, what, you know, stresses out people the most when they're, when they're the host. And there was an article in the New York Post and they shared the top nine hosting stressors. So should I just go ahead and list them, Michelle? Mm, yes, please. Hey, okay, well, let's start at nine and we'll work our way up. So okay. the ninth most stressful thing is um, decorations and then it's seating arrangements and making sure no one damages anything then mm. it's what drinks to serve and then it's having activities to keep your guests entertained and then at number four it's having enough room for everyone and mm. number three cleaning up in time for their arrival and then what food to serve and the number one stressor is making sure everyone enjoys themselves and this was done um they they surveyed 2000 people and so that's how they came up with this top 10 list jason and i were looking at it and we're like yeah we would move some things in the order right like mm -hmm. i'm a, i mm -hmm. don't really think about activities as much as i would think about what drinks to serve um right. but yeah that's that's the general list yeah. Yeah. When I was reading the list after you sent it over, I was thinking about like how growing up, I generally attended and witnessed the hosting of large get togethers and parties. Yeah. Um, so that's really where my comfort still lies in terms yeah. of hosting. And I don't often host small gatherings. Um, they actually, I would say they make me a little more nervous yeah. to host than a really big crowd. But even then, having said that, those top three stressors on the mm -hmm. list, um, what was it? Making sure everyone enjoys themselves, yep. what food to serve, and cleaning in time. Yes. Those are the three. Yes, 100% I relate to. And I think they're just universal. Um, yes. Probably, probably just because with those three, 
I think we have a particular vision in mind and we're trying really hard to achieve it to perfection. Um, And we're just setting really high expectations for ourselves. And so, yeah, it can sneak in no matter what you're hosting. And I know our temptation, and we talk about this often on the podcast, is to say, well, that's because of social media, right? Pinterest Mm -hmm. or like Instagram worthy dinners. But this is just not the case in this circumstance. Um, There has always been pretty fancy expectations on hosting things. I think that were even more than they are now, right? You look at the the heyday of the housewife in the 50s um, with her elaborate meals and having the the husband's boss over for dinner and all that kind of thing through the Mm -hmm. the 50s and 60s. And then you go back into the Victorian period, which was the height of the dinner table of the like dinner guests and the jelly molds and like the food, oh, like just yes. like the elaborate presentation and table settings and stuff. So um, while we like to say that Instagram has made us feel um, self-conscious about this, uh, I have to tell you, this is like 150 years of women feeling self-conscious about hosting parties. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit (laughs) of social media, but no, and I think probably part of it is because like hosting people in your own house Mm -hmm. requires you to have this really intricate dance between like being wildly authentic. Yeah. um, But also there are like some set universal guidelines (laughs) for hosting, which we'll probably talk about uh, in a minute. Um, And maybe that, too, is why we're stressed out and have always been stressed out because that dance has always been there, right? We think we have to perform in some way um, or that we have to present a specific vision or execute someone else's style of hostessing to perfection or what you've seen and experienced yourself. Um, And that can feel unnatural, maybe, or uncomfortable, but also... Yeah, there's just a, a lot of different factors to marry along with your own unique personality um, that would make the experience unique for your own particular event. Yes. And so when asked if people actually enjoy hosting Christmas get togethers uh, in their homes, the article said that the majority of people do, but that number was 59%. So I'm like, yeah, technically that's the majority, but that really means that like over 40% of people don't like hosting people in their home Mm. at Christmas, which I found was really, really interesting too. And just a few more numbers here. Um, They they asked hosts what they're doing right before their guests arrive. And 62% of people are rushing around to tidy up. 61% Mm. are doing the cooking. 40% are preparing drinks. And this one surprised me because 24% of people said they're creating a music playlist before people arrive. Mm. And I don't use Spotify. Like I don't know how to create playlists on all those things but I am definitely like setting out our record player and records and stuff so I do think about music um Mm -hmm. but yeah I didn't know people are creating like playlists Mm -hmm. yeah I was gonna say the playlists I've actually never done either Mm. um and I think that probably goes along with the fact that I'm usually hosting large gatherings yeah and sometimes music in the background seems like it might be a bit too much um so probably depend on the situation um but I like the idea, though, and kind of catering a playlist to the theme of whatever you're hosting. That's good. And it just kind of goes along with, you know, when you're hosting either consciously or subconsciously, you're kind of taking on the magic (laughs) of the holiday to a certain extent, right? So all the considerations, you know, but looking at that, like the things that most people are doing in preparing for their guest, it seems like 
a large percentage have a good handle on the important things that need to be done, mm-hmm. right? Like if you break it all down, what you ultimately need is you need food and you need somewhere to sit. Yeah. <laughs> food, somewhere to sit and eat. And there was one last little bit of data that they were talking about. And this is about the desire to leave a positive impression on your guests, which is what mm. still people do want to do. You do want to impress people with your mm-hmm. home, with the food you're serving, with even your musical choices, as we're seeing. And this desire to impress people. And even when, as I was like writing my notes, I thought impress isn't quite the right word. Um, but I guess it's more like leaving a positive impression which is not Mm. quite the same as like impressing people. Um, But this is important to people. It's important to 55% of the people that responded to that survey. And then here's the thing that made me sad. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it said that 31% of people were so busy making sure everyone else was having a good time that they forgot to have fun themselves. Mm. And I was reflecting on all of this stress. And I think that it's because most of us were not actually taught how to do the things needed to host people. (laughs) And Mm. this is something that we're forgetting um, rapidly. Um, within our own Mm -hmm. generation and the subsequent generations. I have talked with hundreds of women over the years about this sort of thing. And most of them have told me that they barely know how to cook, let alone cook a large meal for a group, right? Like timing everything. Um, Most are struggling with how to keep their houses clean on a regular basis, let alone clean it to have people over. Um, Mm. And so it really did make me wonder, like, is this a thing of the past? Is this rapidly like hosting people in our homes and throwing dinner parties? Like, is this something we're just going to start outsourcing? Like we have everything else and booking restaurants, Mm. right? With our friends, instead of learning how to be a great hostess again, and gifting that experience to our friends and family. So um, I believe it's still possible. We'll talk more about this as, as it's going on. But yeah, to see that 31% of people don't end up enjoying themselves. Um, it just made me sad. And I, and I want to encourage everyone that it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. That is a sad thought. But I could see how um, maybe not having learned the skills to be able to do that definitely yeah. feeds into the the intimidation factor, right, of taking something like that on. But I do think, like, as with everything that is kind of an art and a skill, it's something that you can learn. And I do think there is a benefit to our modern age, where there there actually don't seem to be many like hard and fast rules yes (laughs) to hosting right now. Um, As opposed to say, if you were trying to learn this in what we were saying, the 50s and your bosses come, your husband's boss is coming over for dinner or something. Um, Now, I feel like even if you had the desire to learn how to welcome people into your house, and that's a really wonderful desire to have, you could probably space it out for yourself, try one or two new things each time and really kind of accumulate it gradually uh, to the point where you do become confident in it and to kind of cut yourself some slack when 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 it comes down to that and I also think too it's something to keep in mind that when we do want to have guests over we can kind of cut the intimidation factor a little bit by reminding ourselves that for our guests the night out in and of itself like out of their houses yeah 
and your company and the thought that you took to even want them in your house uh, already makes the night like 99% of what it's going to be (laughs) in their minds. Um, That's the case for me. I know for sure. Like if I get an invitation to someone's house, I'm just already so excited and grateful to have been invited over that I have almost no expectations (laughs) of what's going to happen there. Um, So I think if we try to remind ourselves of that from the other side, then maybe our thought and our our care could go so much further in taking off that edge of stress that may come with hosting in our house. Yeah. And and I totally agree with you. I think that that's the core of it. That mm-hmm. being said, as we move into kind of this next section of this episode on how, like how to be a great hostess, I do open mm-hmm. with with something that is like actually what guests are expecting. <laughs> so oh. it's like, right, at our core, we are just so excited. And that's the truth, right? That's what you and I are saying. The truth is they yes. just want to see you. They want... But of course, there's a lot written on the internet um, about what guests are expecting when they come into your house on a very basic level. Um, So not to like stress everyone back out again. (laughs) Maybe that's my role in this episode is to stress you out and then Michelle brings you back down. (laughs) But I think, I think that it it is a balance though. Yes, it is. Right? Yeah. Because I, I totally get that. And I I have also like written and reflected on a ton of things <laughs> on what we can do to be a great hostess too. Yeah. So I think it totally is that balancing of truly, as we said, knowing the art of hostessing. Yes. That is something to learn and it is something good to try to finesse um, for your guests sake. And then also marrying it with the idea that your, you know, your openness plays into that in a maybe a bigger way than we thought but all those things should still be um worked on and considered when you're hosting a party yeah it's like with learning any new skill right what we're outlining here is like some of like the etiquette or the things that a lot of people have written on on what to expect as the hostess and as the guest and you kind of take in that knowledge and then you make Mm -hmm. it your own right as you're practicing it as you're learning it as a skill so there was this really interesting article called the secret ways your guests are judging you from (laughs) epicurious.com. And I was like, Ooh, I need to know. Um, and so we have talked about like what is stressing you out as the hostess, but there are things that, that the guests are looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. and it makes them feel welcome in your home, right. As soon as they enter, but it actually starts before that. So when you are inviting people over, um, did you tell them about that, that road closure that's near your house that they might encounter? Did you give them suggestions on where to park? Um, is your house well lit with a clearly identified house number? Did you salt your walkway and driveway if it's icy? Um, you got to start there, right? It, it starts mm-hmm. with the invitation and with people like making their way to your house. And then they enter your house and guests are made instantly happy. Apparently, according to this article, and I guess we would all agree if there are snacks out and drinks offered right away. <laughs> so that's that's your first step. <laughs> oh, I love actually this whole idea of caring for and hosting your guests before they even get to your house. Yes, yes. Um, because I think that's one of the few stressors as a guest is actually getting to the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And yep. parking is always something that I wonder about when I'm going to someone's house. Yeah. Um, 
being able to see the house numbers, especially if it's dark out. I know yeah. I was so sad when you took your iconic porch chairs away, <laughs> Lindsay, because yes. that's how I always found your house. Uh, we so, did have these yeah. chairs that everyone found our house with these chairs and they were falling. I couldn't glue them together another time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, everyone. Announcement from the Murray family. The chairs are gone. You'll have to know our house number now. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to look for the well-illuminated house number like everyone else. Yeah. That being yeah. said, um, we always mm-hmm. joke that Jason also drives past our house at least once a month and we've been living here for 11 years. So, But this is actually, okay. you're bringing up a great point because in, we live in one of the newer subdivisions and the mm. properties are so much more narrow, right? In these cookie mm. cutter subdivisions um, that there's oftentimes not even enough width um, in front of the lawn to park a bigger vehicle, a minivan, yes. uh, my dad's old pickup truck. Like, so parking, um, if you're in an older neighborhood, you get the long driveways, there's a wider lawn space. Parking is a little easier, but yeah, in these new cookie cutter subdivisions, parking is actually quite hard to accomplish sometimes for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be funny if, um, it started to become a thing to have like a shuttle to your house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> valet parking. Yeah. You get your teenagers who just got their That's license right. to start valet, everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. At the carpool parking lot down yes. the street. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, something to consider. Okay. So they're in your house. They've had snacks. They've been offered a cocktail. Um, the next thing is guests want to eat at a reasonable time. <laughs> so yes. most people, it turns out, and this is really good information, would rather have a less elaborate meal if it means the cook gets the meal to the table without too much extra cooking and without too much extra time spent in the kitchen. So don't slave over something super complicated. Um, get just the food out there. People are happy to sit and eat um, and would ra- rather something less complicated, but having you at the table at a reasonable time. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. And that's one thing like we've learned over the years of hosting is that if you have a signature dish mm-hmm. that you enjoy making for your guests, it, that ends up cutting out so much stress and time out of yes. your duties so that you can get back to your guests more quickly. And I know because Phil and I, we have a couple of things that we do make a lot if we have people over. And mm-hmm. it seems sometimes like um, surely my guests don't want this same dish yeah. <laughs> that I cook over and over again. But again... We have to remind ourselves that this this is our home and not theirs. And what we think has been done and repeated over and over may not necessarily be for them, too. So not to be intimidated by that factor either. And yeah, because our guests like they really do care more about spending time in our company than a complex meal, so to speak. So unless it's in your wheelhouse or your capacity to do so or it's a great passion, um, to try new and exotic recipes for people because that could be the case too. Yeah. Um, otherwise, a great way to simplify for yourself as a hostess is to pick a menu that you really are well familiar with yes. and that people just generally always enjoy and to lean on your well-earned experiences so that you're free to enjoy the night as much as your guests are. I love that. Now, the next thing is to make sure you have enough food and drink, enough extra. People aren't going to critique the food and drink choices as much as they may feel a little let down if there's not enough to go around, right? If they're Mm -hmm. still hungry and they're kind of like, there's not anything else. So go cheaper if you have to on the, the quality of the food or drinks, just so that there's enough for that people can feel full when they leave and satisfied. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good tip too. And maybe when you're planning your menu, I find that there are food items that you can put out where like a little goes a long way. Yes. In terms of fillers of food, right? So like potatoes. Yeah. Um, if you have a lot of potatoes on offer, um, plus buns, like having a basket of dinner rolls as well yeah. goes a long way too. It just really helps to round out the meal. And I find it's those side dishes that give that often give people that sated feeling yeah. at the end. And so that can really help too as you're planning a menu if you don't maybe have enough to go around in terms of specialty items like meat or something like that, then your sides can really be the star of the meal in that sense too. Yep. And then it's back again. We're going to just touch on music again right now because it's about setting atmosphere. So we were already talking about creating playlists, but like music, lighting, flowers, we want the atmosphere to be nice. And this is where you want to also assess like the volume of the music. You were talking about having a lot of people at your house, Michelle, and the last thing you Mm. need is another voice, right? Like (laughs) complicating things. So just really soft jazz music or something like that in the background. Um, I'm very, very picky with lighting. I want myself to look good. I want you to feel good. Like, so Mm -hmm. the appropriate, you need enough so that you can keep cooking or serving things safely. Um, But then where people are gathered, you know, definitely light some candles. And again, maybe go unscented for people who have allergies or sensitivities to scents. Um, I also open, like crack open our windows because, you know, it gets Mm -hmm. hot very quickly um, in a house, but you want that fresh air to circulate as well and remove some of the cooking smells. So be very, very um, considerate about the atmosphere you're creating. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about lighting mm. um, because I'm going through a bit of a thing right now where I don't know if this has happened to anybody else, but for the last little bit, we've um, had bulbs burn out yeah. and haven't gotten out fast enough to replace the bulbs. So we've kind of just cobbled together yeah. what we've had. And it was this mixture of a lot of different temperatures and Ooh, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're hosting this weekend and I wanted to get our light bulb situation sorted out. Um, and I do prefer, and I know we've talked about this before, but a (laughs) warmer bulb. Yes. Right. In our lights. I think I went too warm now. Mm. And is there such a thing as too warm and what temperature looks best so that we all look great? (laughs) I think the key is, and you're not going to be able to do this before your, your party this weekend, but if people have the chance to put things on dimmers, so regardless of how Mm. cool Mm -hmm. or warm the light is, you can at least adjust right um how bright it is so dimmers are a game changer right off the bat and you can upgrade any of your lighting in your house to dimmers um um, Mm. but yeah so the problem now michelle and i could do an entire episode on this this is a like something i'm very passionate about is how you cannot find incandescent light bulbs anymore because the environment blah 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 they're bad for everything (laughs) (laughs) so but i am obviously a huge fan of a classic incandescent bulb there is a glow that they give off off that is never going to be replicated by the yes. new I, are they plastic the new led light bulbs i think they're they plastic have a, they have a plastic base to them at least yeah. i feel some like. of the actual yeah. bulb part um at least the ikea ones and stuff are plastic now i have been I, I can't give a proper recommendation because we're just starting to replace some ourselves as things are burning out so i'm trying to mm-hmm. find proper properly warm not too blue light 
bright light, daylight type of <laughs> LEDs. Now, that being said, this is a huge contentious issue in my house because I feel like Gen Z, so my teenagers, they mm-hmm. like the bright white lights. They, oh. they all the time, they're like, we're not doing warm lights like in this house. And then I'm like, fine, I guess I'll be oh. bringing my own light bulbs to your house <laughs> and switching them out when I come and visit you. <laughs> um, we talk about it all the time. But yeah, it's there are some that you really just want to look for warm. Um, and have lamps on, right? We're big fans of lamp o'clock when you go around mm. and turn the lamps on your house. Candlelight, you want to do different heights of candlelight so you don't just have tapers that are like obscuring people's faces. Um, mm. So do your low mm-hmm. level tea lights um, put throughout. Uh, word of warning though, uh, our family was lighting the second candle on our advent wreath on the weekend and yeah. my son was holding the lighter and he was my teenager, was leaning over it and the flame didn't touch his face but the column of heat coming up started to burn his hair and I look over and smoke was all coming (gasps) off of his head and hair was falling down and burned pieces so the flame hadn't even made contact with him but the heat from that candle yeah was Mm. we were a second away from a disaster so be very very careful with floral arrangements and tablescapes and napkins and think very much about how much clearance is around each candle on your table. I know things photograph well and look beautiful on reels to have all those candles lit, but think Mm -hmm. about who's sitting at your table, how old they are, who's passing things uh, over the candles there. Yeah. Very, very much candle safety and make sure you have a fire extinguisher handy, um, you know, near your kitchen. Mm Hmm. So lamps, lamps. <laughs> or battery operated, right? There's all these okay, great yes, battery yeah. operated candles now. <laughs> Got it. Yes. No candles. <laughs> I'm team pro candle until I, I saw my son's head smoking. <laughs> Totally. Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, it kind of goes along with what I was thinking too about atmosphere. Yes. Um, And another great way to make your guests feel comfortable is to look for what I think of as perching areas. Yeah. Right. So if you can anticipate where in your house guests would likely like land Mm -hmm. to chat or sit, uh, if not at the table, then to go to those areas and make sure they're, that they're clear of clutter. That's if you are lighting idea. candles, yes. <laughs> that it's safe, right? Um, because you might not there's... always be keeping your eye on those areas, yes. right? So you, yeah, so you kind of almost want to make them like self-sufficient mm-hmm. areas, right? That um, there's already a couple of places set up to sit in the vicinity. Um, and that there's, what I find too, is to think of whether there's a suitable surface nearby where people are going to be able to place their drinks or their plates and their elbows as they're leaning and talking yeah 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 so if you want to set up some of these areas I find like a good ratio is to consider like two or three um seats to every one surface Mm -hmm. and like little clusters of that throughout so that's great Yes. So you can stock that area with maybe some coasters, a stack of napkins or Kleenex um, scattered throughout the house. A bowl of snacks, a little bowl of nuts. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And that could be just another just another little thing that goes a long way when your guests are looking for somewhere to sit or perch. And another area where you perch and you could start on fire. Sorry, I can't stop with this because yeah. I'm thinking of this. It's important. It's important. It is the toilet. And I have thought so many times about <laughs> lighting. I'm 
sorry, Michelle. Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. I have in better. our bathroom, I have a row of tea lights in our powder room. And mm-hmm. every time we have guests over, it looks great if you light them on the back of the toilet before anybody's using the room. But anytime a woman with longer hair like myself goes yeah. in there, I think, oh my goodness, if she sits down the back of her hair, could go up on fire. <laughs> So maybe no tea lights on the back of your toilet. In fact, I I know a lot of people who light candles in their bathrooms when company is over, but no one's in there to watch it. Kids can go in there. Maybe just no candles in the bathroom at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good tip. I seem to remember, I feel like my mom may have lit a candle, but it was in a wall hanging Mm, votive. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. So it was like, what are the ones called that are a bit bigger than a tea light? (laughs) I'm drawing a blank. Oh, votive. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. So an actual votive. Yeah. And she would hang that and it was higher. It was maybe about eye level for me as an adult. And that would give off a bit of the scent maybe that you want from a candle burning. Yes. Um, but very safely, not near anything else. That's a great tip. So that could be an option too. And this is a little bit of my old Pier One candle knowledge coming out. When you're using votives, which are the ones that liquefy, right? That fill a Mm. votive cup. You can't put them on like a tea light holder. Um, right before you put your candle in, you just put a little bit of water, just a little bit lining the bottom of the votive cup. And that candle, when it's liquefied, will pop right out of there. No problem. Once it's hardened Mm. back up again, or you can pop them in your freezer if you need to get them out. But I actually find the little bit of water in works better if you're using votive candles. Mm-hmm. That's a great tip. Okay. So speaking of the bathroom, we'll just finish up here. I do think it is reasonable that guests expect a clean bathroom, right? A clean mm-hmm. bathroom, a clean kitchen. If you're serving them food from it, you might not be able to get your whole house clean. Um, but I think a bathroom that has a clean towel, they want soap in it, right? Um, mm-hmm. That is definitely something you should make a priority of. And this leads me right into just this other little list. It's from signaturemaids.com. And they talk about the six things that your guests might notice in your house. And so, yeah, definitely the cleanliness of your bathroom. Um, Um, The smell of your house. We were already talking about that pet hair and again, having a clean towel in the bathroom and a clean entryway. Um, These are just, you don't need to focus on everything, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. just have those basics down pat, you're on your way. Yes. Yeah, I know. I was just talking to my mom as we're preparing to host this weekend and she's just reminding me, she's like, um, if I don't get to the complete and utter deepest of deep cleans yeah. that I hoped to get to, <laughs> even if I don't get to that, it's the the tidiness, the order, the the cleanliness yeah. of the space that that matters the most. And I have a whole hierarchy in my head mm-hmm. of what I need to clean in order. This is like when it's maybe crunch time and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to start prioritizing things and triaging things. So bathrooms are number one for sure. Always. If I can do nothing else, I try to have a clean bathroom. I feel like that is like makes the, um, not so much of an impact if it is clean, but possibly the most negative impact (laughs) if you don't get to it. And then to go along with that, I think my floors would be next. Yeah. Um, just to sweep, Um, or vacuum or wash them if I can get to them just because walking across things is also one of those (laughs) things you don't notice yeah (laughs) but you will if you know there are crumbs on the floor sticking to people's feet and things like that and then after that it's all like if I have time yeah (laughs) like then you clean up your kitchen as you said um and then the last actually it's interesting like 
the last thing, if people can physically get into my house, then the last thing I do is put those like finishing touches on, right? Um, Like lighting the candles. Some of that I feel, depending on your comfort level with guests, as that list goes down, there are some of those things you could be finishing up as your friends come in, right? Like as you come in and you're just lighting the candles or you're putting out the tablecloth or the napkins or something like that. If a time crunch is what you're dealing with, having a priority and a hierarchy of cleaning things, I think will set your mind at ease in a big way, which will help you enjoy welcome your guests. And when they arrive, even if not everything is completely finished as they start arriving. Yes. And I think that there is actually a skill to this. And I, I know like proper etiquette would not would dictate that everything's done, but I actually think that it's mm-hmm. kind of comforting and like really welcoming to have the husband take the other husband off and like sit and have their drinks. And you, the wife kind of follows you around and you, as you light the candles and you chat and kind of catch up as you're getting those things done. Mm-hmm. It's really about how you handle it with your personality more than what's been done, not done, what your house looks like. It's really comes down to how warm you are as the person welcoming people into your house, people can Mm -hmm. forgive and overlook a lot. They will overlook 99% Mm -hmm. of things, right? So um, yeah, we're always at all different levels of readiness when people come over to our house. That's unavoidable when you have kids who have last minute pressing needs. Um, There's always, you know, we're never, we don't always have everything done, but if you, if they come in and you're being jovial and friendly and going, oh my goodness, I can't believe we didn't get this done. um, You know, follow me along as I, as I do this, let me get you a cocktail. People, don't care they're totally fine with it and I think that this is where that great partnership in your marriage if your husband is there to help you he can really help right he can then direct Mm. guests into the other room you have that kind of you'll you'll discover that dance between husband and wife of hosting people um one of our earliest episodes from the first season was having our friend on our mutual friend Anita Healy and her Mm -hmm. and Michael are like amazing hosts they've got seven kids and they always open up their house to people and they do a beautiful job of hosting of co-hosting together as husband Mm. and wife and they've really perfected their roles and she talks about that a lot in that episode so definitely go back and listen to that interview with Anita Healy Um, but that's where I find like whatever I need to finish up I need Jason then to take over with the guests and he does a good job of that Mm -hmm. and as your kids get older Mm -hmm. I remember my mom delegating that to us as we got older when we had guests over she's like you entertain the guests yeah (laughs) while she finished up in the kitchen so yeah a family can really work together in that way so then I found an article from Oprah.com um, about something called empathetic hostessing. And this is about creating a personalized experience for your guests that make them know that you thought about them ahead of time. Now, this article is mostly about having people come and stay in your home as house guests. Um, and we're obviously talking mostly about hosting like a Christmas party or a Christmas get together. But I still think the point stands because it is really great, this idea of thinking about what they want and what they might benefit from ahead of time, whether they're your your house for two hours, right? Or two days. Um, Mm. So the person who wrote this article said, before your guests arrive, spend some time picturing their lives, not yourself, your house, or your reputation, but their lives from their point of view. When you walk in their shoes, what creature comforts sound tempting? What diversions are most diverting? What would you like to avoid for a while? 
And I thought this is just such a great way to create an environment um, within your home that is like a temporary escape for guests, right? Like you were saying at the beginning where it's like, you're just happy to get out of your house for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about like, what do they need a little break from? So I was laughing when you're talking about sending in the kids, because I'm thinking sometimes you're like, keep the kids away. (laughs) The last thing they want is your kids like coming in with a recorder from school and playing a song. (laughs) Now send the children into entertain the Von Trapp children and to entertain the guests. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just thought like maybe, you know, we need to be always aware, like maybe they want a break from kids everywhere or whatever it is they want. Right. So I love that. It's not, this is again about steering back that conversation from like you trying to impress them versus creating a positive impression. And that involves thinking about what will make their evening great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do just have to to kind of piggyback on that. I think that's a really good point about considering what they what your guests need, mm-hmm. um, and that perhaps sending in your kids is not the greatest. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, when I said, said that, we were adult children living <laughs> oh, yes. at home. So to clarify, <laughs> okay, it was like go do that play, that nativity play yeah. you guys have been practicing. <laughs> oh my gosh, the Christmas concert songs. Yes. So, Go sing that, like the whole repertoire, whatever we have all learned. We'll be ready in concert, 20, in 20 minutes. Yeah. You guys go do the concert. <laughs> yeah. But I do love that because in a way though, because that could just seem like something else on your plate. Yeah. Um, But I actually think that makes hosting a lot easier. Yeah. Because then um, you are taking pressure off yourself. Yep. Um, it's not how you can perform to impress people. Yeah. And it gives you a guideline. It gives you like an idea or a theme or um yeah it kind of narrows down all the many many options that you can have in terms of decor or flow or itinerary of the night uh if you consider your specific guests then that really tailors and narrows down your own to-do list too like for how I won't play board games with Jason, but if you and Phil invite us over, right, and you set up board <laughs> games, you're catering to Jason's needs and you're kind of relieving right. me of that <laughs> burden of having to play games with him. <laughs> but also when that happens, I want you to know too that I'm trying to pick a selection of games yes. that I think could <laughs> like, also appeal to you as yes, well. Yes. Because I think we have general tastes in games too. Yeah. Like to have a couple of options with party games and then if it's like a big strategic game. Yeah. Um, to just already know in my head that we'll lightheartedly leave yes. the men to their strategy. Yep. And we'll just grab a drink and sit on the couch. Perfect. <laughs> and just to have it in your mind. I love this. I, I It's something I think we do without thinking about it, but I want to be more intentional about creating that evening for what they want. And in this article, it Mm -hmm. says, give them what they love and not what you love. And while Mm -hmm. I definitely think both things should be taken into consideration, right? Because sometimes I'm like, oh, we've been loving this dessert. So I wanted to share it with you. Like Mm -hmm. that's definitely something to take into consideration. This idea about focusing in on what you can provide for them about something they might really be needing in that season of life, I thought is, is great. Like what you were saying, what a great way to take the pressure off yourself, right? And trying to create this mm-hmm. perfect night. And they talk about that in the article too. They're talking about how we always think of empathy as doing everything for everyone else's sake, right? But that it says here, empathetic hosting, um, really as paradoxical as it sounds, it, it does please yourself as the hostess to know you gifted mm. that to someone. You end up feeling that you reap the benefits of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so what if my perception is correct and the younger generations and the newly wedded people right now aren't doing this anymore? Like what if we're not hosting people in our houses anymore because it's so stressful and it is and it's so much work and it is and it's expensive and it is like Mm -hmm. it is all of these Mm -hmm. things. Um, We still believe it matters and we still believe that what you do in your home has an impact on everyone that comes into your home. And we've said this so many times, we believe that you're a homemaker, whether you have a job outside side of the home or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, your husband, your kids, you all make your house a home. And I believe, and you believe, Michelle, that we have a uniquely feminine desire and talent, whether it's been fully realized or not, to make things beautiful and special, to create these special nights. Um, but our idea of what is special and beautiful really has been distorted over the years, especially because of social media. Um, mm-hmm. I ran into my parents' neighbors. I was out at HomeSense and ran into the people who live across the street from my parents, who I've known since I was four years old. And we were talking, and, and the, the mom, Anne, she grew up in a big Catholic family in a small wartime house. You know the houses mm-hmm. I'm talking about, like the two bedrooms upstairs, kitchen, bathroom, and tiny living room on the main floor. And that was it, mm-hmm. right? very, very small. And there, there was nine kids in that house. And when their mom would host Christmas, they would have 40 to 50 people in that house. Mm-hmm. And her mom, so Anne was telling me that her mom and dad would go to mass before midnight mass. And then they, they would send all the kids and their boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses all to midnight mass while she prepared the meal. And they would all come home at one thirty in the morning, 40 to 50 people to a huge feast that this mom in her fifties would spread out. And then a couple hours later, she would set out Christmas dinner, right? She would go to sleep for a couple hours and then do Christmas dinner. And this just idea of everyone cramped in this house and having such fond memories of this, you hear this from person after person after person talking about their great aunt's house or their grandma's house and talking about how it was nothing special, but it was everything special, right? It was Mm -hmm. the tables all pushed together, people squeezing past, everyone loud. And and it really does seem like we all want that. We all long for it. We all appreciate it, but we all don't expect that like we, that it would work for us, that it needs to be so much better when we're the ones hosting it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Um, that was my whole experience growing up at my grandma's house too. Yes. You said like everyone has the story, right? Yep. And my grandparents as well, they were um, immigrants to Canada. They hosted a lot of family that came after them. Um, they had six kids. My grandparents had six kids. It's my mom's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had one of those very small houses and yeah. they would host in the basement and the yes. six kids, like people would be everywhere. But the joy and the community and everything that everyone felt. And then once we came along, too, it was everyone went to my grandma's for Christmas. Yeah. Um, my my grandfather was very sick, so he couldn't really travel. Um, so we always went to them. And it was like as we started getting older. So this is the <laughs> grandkids now, the grandkids and our spouses, our kids. I remember bringing like our oldest, Claire, and her playpen. And my cousins were doing <laughs> the same pen, with their yes. babies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where's the we would have like, playpen? Yeah, I love it. Well, we would just claim one of the rooms in the basement. Yes. And all of the playpens go in there. And all of our babies, we tried to hush them and put them to sleep because yes. we stay late. But they are some of my very, very fondest memories. And you're, I love that line. It was nothing special, 
but at the same time it was everything special yes and I love that and I do hope that culturally we do reclaim that because I think we've become very individualistic as a society right and we shy away from these things or spending so much time together but maybe by hosting and rediscovering this art especially during the holiday season where it can seem a little bit more natural to do something like this it can reintroduce us to that togetherness that modern culture sometimes seems very intent on eradicating completely. <laughs> yes. You know that whole concept of like normalize this, normalize that? Like yes. I always just brush that off, but normalize small houses hosting a lot of people for Christmas again. Like love it. No mm-hmm. one hated it. No one. No nope. one was like it was too busy. Like everyone has fond memories of that. And I think we have completely lost sight of what is special about hosting in our own homes. Um, you know, our homes are often most of us have homes that are too small to too outdated, too lived in, but it's perfectly imperfect. This just reminds me so much about this trend on TikTok that Gen Z is doing about longing for nostalgic Christmas. Mm, I've seen those. So they're all over TikTok and Instagram. And this is the first time Gen Z is starting to feel nostalgia about stuff, right? They're 16, mm. 17, 18. They're starting to share um, images that and, and memories that they're longing for. And let me remind you, because I needed this reminding that when they're putting together these compilations of reels with these images from nostalgic Christmas. It is a half lit Christmas tree with ornaments falling off, right? (laughs) Which is my Christmas tree this year. Just so you know, half my strings burnt out and I don't have time. Oh my goodness. That's they literally pictures of that. It is like the tackiest plastic poinsettia printed tablecloth, right? It is like the paper plates. It is all of that stuff. It is the way the snow sits on the Christmas lights outside on the bushes. It is like, it is just, that's what they're longing for. So our children and our teenagers and the 20 year olds, they don't need it to be perfect like Instagram. That's what they miss. That's what you and mm. I miss. That's what's making me tear up right now. And I think we, my grandma did Christmas once in her unfinished basement and the buffet was laid out on the washer and dryer. <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh about it. We look back and we all, yes. that was the only room we all fit in was their unfinished mm. part of their basement. And yeah, you went and scooped your mashed potatoes off from on top of the dryer. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And so um, you can relieve yourself right now, right now, listening to this podcast of the expectation and the burden placed on you by social media to create this perfect Christmas dinner. That's not what people are longing for. They want the closeness. They want the perfectly imperfect. Mm, You know what? This episode is so timely with me having to host because I know these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know, and we we have said it in this episode, when it's you, though, hosting, you're like, but do they really care? Um, But just talking about it out loud and stuff, it's making me feel so excited again yeah like just to just to be uh considering of what our guests coming in are going to need or want and then setting up our house and then just really embracing and enjoying having them all here yes and being all together I'm so excited and it just it makes sense it's just a gift to those you're welcoming in it's the gift of time mm-hmm. ultimately right and that could be argued to be the most valuable gift yeah. in our modern age right to think of how incredible it is that amidst the hustle and bustle of the season, someone invited you yeah. <laughs> to spend time with you, not 
only while you're there, but they also spent time to prepare for your coming, thinking and anticipating your needs, preparing your home. Like that just warms your heart just thinking about it and how wonderful it is to be able to gift someone else the idea that you care so much that you would lavish your time on them in such a way. I just think that's such a beautiful way to enter the season. Yes, and we cannot lose this. So I am really inviting our younger listeners, these newlyweds, you know, you're in your 20s, you're having your first babies. Um, you can do it. I, we want to empower you that you can do this, that your mothers did it when they had a couple babies and they were in the trenches, your grandmothers did it, that this idea of welcoming people into your home and whatever state it's in right now, um, it, this has a ripple effect on the community that it is a really, really special gift. Like what you're saying, Michelle, um, I was just thinking about how we're losing that intimate connection with our families and friends. We're popping out for dinner with them in restaurants and leaving Bye see you next year. You know, like this idea of when you're in a home together, there is an intimacy there that, that this welcoming in, um, this exposing yourself, this risk of making a faux pas or an error of burning something, right? Like Mm -hmm. there it's a Mm -hmm. risky behavior in some ways. Um, but it, the payoff is so huge. I, I can't, as I was writing my notes, I was reflecting back to my childhood, you know, in the 1980s and, and I'm sure you experienced the same thing where our moms, whenever they would get a dessert, they'd save half of it in the freezer in case people popped by, right? It was, my mom Mm. still tells me, well, make sure you put some in the freezer in case people pop by. And I'm like, people don't pop by. Like that whole idea of spending Mm -hmm. time in people's houses, which I think we need more than ever because life is so expensive. Going out and meeting people and doing things out in the community costs money. If getting Mm -hmm. back to that cup of coffee and a half of frozen cake that you just took out of your freezer and welcoming people in, right? It doesn't have to be a dinner. It's just this idea of opening your homes back up to people creating normalizing again popping in and visiting visiting um this is the christmas season to do it and it doesn't just have to be on christmas day right a lot of people already have Mm -hmm. their christmas days planned you and i did a whole episode on the 12 days of christmas the whole catholic idea of that christmas starts on christmas day but open up your house for those 12 days after just do it get into the habit of doing this again um we really think it's important on a societal Mm -hmm. level Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So I think if there's a takeaway, the biggest thing is how you greet people when they come in. I've always found if you just get that cocktail into their hand or a hot coffee Mm -hmm. or a tea, Mm -hmm. once they have a beverage and they're holding onto it and you start laughing and talking, everything falls into place, right? So just a good welcome, get them in, and then you sit and enjoy yourself too. And one little tip from Nigella, our favorite hostess, Mm -hmm. she said, Everyone always makes mistakes, right? You're going to screw up something if you're making a bunch of things for dinner. Her rule is you apologize once. That's it. You don't keep Mm. over apologizing. You don't keep mentioning it when people are tasting it. You apologize once and you move right along. And I've been trying to practice that myself. Yeah. To be a little bit light on ourselves so that we can bring lightness to our guests. So after everything we talked about today, we want to remind you that it is everything within you that makes you the hostess that you are. And that is exactly what your friends and family are looking forward to when they get an invite from you. The decor, the food, your home, these things don't actually mean as much as you think they do. You bring the warmth. You bring the flavor. You are the reason people are visiting. So have fun and make sure that you are enjoying the party too. 
And with that, this is our last episode of the year 2023. Except if you're on Patreon, we have one last thing planned before we take off for the holiday season as well. So stay tuned for that. And if you are interested, please join us over on Patreon. But in the meantime, Lindsay and I want to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and a blessed Christmas season. And we will see you again in the new year. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, this is where I share something I've alluded to in this episode and that I've talked about many, many times, but I have loved it. I am loving and I will continue to love Nigella Lawson's Christmas specials Mm -hmm. and her cookbook, um, her Christmas cookbook in particular. Her Christmas specials are my happy place. They are what I turn on when I'm feeling anxious or stressed. Um, Even if it's the middle of summer, I watch them then. I have watched them probably 100 times um, and have them mostly memorized. So even the specialist food items that she talks about and uses, these fascinate me. Like um, she talks about preserved lemons, brandy butter, fruta mostarda, which is like a preserved spicy style fruit that she uses on um, cold leftover turkey. And Mm. finally, Finally, I'm flipping out. I finally bought the thing she always gets in her stocking every year. I bought it for myself for my stocking. It's Maron Glacé candied mm. chestnuts. They are very, very hard to find here. Um, that's all I'm excited for Christmas morning. So anyways, the allure of Nigella, which extends beyond her like resplendent beauty and her way of connecting with the camera, is her realness when it comes to cooking and hostessing. She mm-hmm. isn't about perfection. She's all about eating and gathering as a pleasurable experience and she wants to enjoy it just as much as her guests and every time I watch her shows especially her Christmas ones I remember that it's my Christmas too so I make myself a Christmas cocktail and get to work in the kitchen and remind myself that it can be as much fun as I make it so if anyone needs a little bit more motivation beyond this episode (laughs) and you and I please turn to the queen herself Nigella's Christmas specials you can purchase some on iTunes some of them are on some of the British channels and there's some on YouTube Hmm. Oh, I 100% agree. Nigella Lawson just brings a like just brings Christmas entertaining, cooking and hosting to another yeah. level, but yeah. not in a in an unattainable way. Yes. So I also highly recommend. She's very like ambiance. Yes. <laughs> like she just sets the mood when she's in your living room TV. <laughs> yes, she does. Yeah. So Michelle, what have you been loving this week? So a couple of weeks ago, we binge-watched the new adaptation of the novel All the Light We Cannot See Mm -hmm. on Netflix, and we loved it. It was so good. Um, I remember reading the book years ago, but I didn't remember, like, almost at all the plot. Yeah. (laughs) And so the TV adaptation, um, I was kind of looking it up afterwards to compare. Uh, As is often the case, it is a bit different from the book. Yeah. Honestly, that never bothers me too much. So I'll just focus on the TV show for now. So the story focuses on two main characters. There's Marie Lore and Werner uh, during the final days of World War II in a small French town right as the Americans are making their way to liberate Nazi-occupied territory in France. So Marie Lore is blind, but she's incredibly intelligent, and she has ties to the French resistance. Werner is a young German soldier stationed in this uh, small French town. 
And what connects their stories is a radio program that each of them used to listen to when they were children, hosted by a man who simply went by the professor and who would speak to children and tell them the truths about the world. So as they try to survive and navigate these final days of the occupation and war, a series of events connect them and bring them together in ways that they did not expect. So I enjoyed watching this so much. I thought it was very well produced. There is a little bit of profanity, like especially during the war scene, some of the fighting sequences. Um, So please be aware of that. But otherwise, it's a beautiful story to sink into and well told. So be sure to check out All the Light We Cannot See, available on Netflix. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next year.